This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, in the Old Testament scripture reading, um, there was a certain structure that the psalmist had. First, he tells us to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then he recounts the reasons why we're to praise the Lord. About how he had had, uh, made his people cross the Red Sea. And all those things. About how he has answered his people's prayers. And and we can think of many things we can praise the Lord for. What's... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something I don't normally do. I'll ask a question I intend an answer for. What's something you can praise the Lord for? The day. The day. What's another thing we can praise the Lord for? Good health. Good health. Anything else? His son. His son. Okay. Today in Ephesians, uh, the passage we're going to look at has a structure similar to what we saw in the, the psalm. He's telling us we're to praise the Lord and then he heaps up all of the reasons why we are to praise the Lord. We'll look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're, going to look at, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 3 through 14, but I'll go ahead and begin with uh, verse 1. Um, since this is the first sermon from uh, Ephesians that I'll share with you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of tres- our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor and blessing. Lord, you have acted in Christ Jesus to save 
us for yourself. You have done all these things to the praise of your glory. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand and to obey what your word says. Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray that you give me strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, he begins calling us to praise God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be Him. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's not uh, um, so much written out as a command, but He's saying, Blessed is He. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He specifically names who He's talking about. He's not just talking about some generic God either. He's talking about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God who from all eternity past had planned to send His Son. Who would come and die in our place on the cross. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We possess Him. He is ours and we are His. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we ask the question, why? Why is God so blessed? And He answers us. He says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Why is God worthy of being blessed? Why is He worthy of being praised? Because, it says here, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has given us. He, we are the beneficiaries of something that He has given us. And it's not just anything. He says, with every spiritual blessing. Everything that we can want spiritually. He has given to us in Christ. And it says, in the heavenly places. I, I, was, I scratched my head about this. What should we, how should we understand in the heavenly places? And I, I, what I think of is when, he talks, when Peter talks later about, our, uh, about how our inheritance is held, reserved in heaven for us. It is outside of uh, of the realm where it can be damaged by moth or rust. It is held in heaven for us, waiting for us. It is not going to be damaged. It is not, uh, it is not uh, uh, vulnerable to any, any danger, but God has it held in the heavenly places for us. Now, what are these spiritual blessings? I believe the, 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 the rest of the passage we're looking at is spelling out what he means. What are these spiritual blessings? And in the Greek, verses 3 through 14, the ones we're specifically looking at today, are one sentence in the Greek. Now that's a really long sentence. In English we would call that a run-on. And in order to make it make sense, English translations have usually put some more punctuation in there. But in the Greek, it is literally one sentence. The main point being, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then he, all, there's a bunch of participles all uh, connected to it uh, that are, are showing us the reasons of, uh, for who he is and, and why we should bless him. Just one more thing before we get into these. The book of Ephesians is like many of Paul's other letters in that in the first half of the letter, Paul is telling us things about who God is, what he has done in Jesus. And in the second half of the book, when, when, uh, whenever we get to chapter 4 and beyond, he tells us how we ought to live in, in, in light of that. So there's not a whole lot of application when it comes to telling us what to do, but these first three chapters of Ephesians are telling us what we are to believe. They're informing us about what God has done in Jesus Christ. So, the first of these spiritual blessings. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Shows us in him. Now, some people get squeamish about passages like this. God shows us. And then later on, we, we see this word, he predestined us. And, and we can get squeamish. We can get scared about, about how to understand this. Let me just kind of put it like this. Some, some people feel like, well, we, we don't believe in that predestination stuff. Well, you can't avoid it. It's, it's in the Bible. It uses the word predestined. So the, the, then what, what many of us then do is how do we explain what is meant by predestination? Um, there are some, uh, and I'm not going to press anything too hard, but there's some who would say he he does so by looking down the corridors of history and he sees the decisions that we will make and he chooses us based on those. And that's one view. And there's another view that would, that would be that he does it regardless of any conditions upon us. Uh, but he, he chooses us not because of anything in us, but because of his mere desire, his mere pleasure. I don't want to get into any speculation. I don't want to, to get into any controversy, really. Um, but the first thing I want to point out is Paul is not writing this and God is not giving this to us so that we can speculate about the mind of God. His purpose is not to give us information so that we can come up with theories. His purpose in revealing this is so that we would praise God for it. He tells us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because He has chose us in Him. So regardless of what view you may hold about how God chooses us, the, re the thing is, God has chosen to save us. If you're trusting in Jesus now, God has chosen to save you. And that is a reason why you should praise Him. He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. 
Before He flung the stars into space, before He created this planet, before He created the sun and the moon, and before He ever formed Adam out of the dust, He chose you. That should make you want to praise Him. Shouldn't it? He chose you if you are believing in Him. And then He says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Wow. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now, there are two definitions when we talk about holiness. One, of course, is his set-apartness. And the other is moral purity. I think there are aspects here of both that we need to understand from this. First, he has chose us to be holy in that he's called us apart. He has rescued us from the world and set us apart as his own precious possession, his own chosen people. He has made us saints, as it talked about in verse 1. He addresses the letter to the saints who were in Christ Jesus, in, in Ephesus. He has chosen us to be His own. And at the same time, He's chosen us to be holy and blameless. That, I think, picks up the moral purity idea in holiness. He has chosen us to be holy. To, to live differently than the rest of the world around us. To be peculiar. We should stand out to the rest of the world for our moral purity. Now, I'm going to get ahead of myself here. He tells us this here when we get to chapter 4. He says, since you have this calling, walk in it. Since He has called us to be holy, the application then is we should live like it. We should not be conformed to this world. But we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We should live in a way that is holy and blameless. But we do so knowing that that is the very thing that God has predestined us to. And while we live in this life always failing at that, we know that as we come closer and closer to the end when Jesus returns and He sets all things right, one day we will be perfectly that holy and blameless state that He has predestined us to. We may not see it now. We won't see it in this life. But when He returns, we have been predestined to be holy and blameless. The next thing, He says, in love... He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. This is going to cause us to bless Him, isn't it? He, in love, 
In love, He predestined us. He chose us. He, before we were ever born, before we had ever cried our first cry, before the foundation of the world, He predestined us for adoption to Himself. While we were born into this world, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, dead in our trespasses and sins. While we were born into this world, rebels shaking our fists at God. He has taken these rebels, these corpses, and he has adopted them to himself. If you are trusting in Jesus, if you are looking to him, this is what God says about you. You have been adopted. You're no longer an enemy, but you are now a son or daughter, a son. And the reason why I think he uses this word son so often is because a son connotates inheritance. Men and women, both equally inheriting. So, in a way, we can speak even of women as sons of God. To be sons through Jesus Christ. How does he accomplish this task of adopting us into his family? It is through the work of Jesus Christ. It is through his sending his one and only begotten son into the world to live a perfect life, die for our sins, raise again, and be seated at the hand of the right hand of God. It is through that work of Christ that he has adopted us as his sons. And then it follows this up with something we don't want to overlook. It, it repeats it several times, but we, we don't want to pass over this. According to the purpose of his will. This has all been a part of one master plan. And he has done all these things According to the purpose of his will. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. Again, he points us to the purpose that we see in verse 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to praise God. And here in verse 6. We're told He has done these things. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. He has adopted us as sons in order for to the praise of His glorious grace. That we might look at what He has done. We look at the act of God in choosing us, in adopting us, and we might praise Him for what He has done. To the praise of His glorious grace. With which he has blessed, which was, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in the beloved. Uh, I don't know what all the other translations do. You might look and see what your Bible does, but in my translation, in the beloved, beloved is capitalized. And I, I would I would agree with that. I would say when it talks about the beloved, it's talking about Jesus. We have been accepted, we have been blessed in Christ, in the Beloved. We've received all these benefits, we've received all these spiritual blessings in Christ, in the Beloved. The next 
benefit, the, the next blessing that we have received. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Oh, the cost that it took in order to save us, in order to save, to, to ransom us, to, to, to redeem these sinners, to make us sons and daughters. The cost was through His blood. He has bought us. He has paid the price. He has paid the debt that we owed because of our sin. And we have redemption through His blood. We have our trespasses forgiven. The word there, trespasses, different from the the typical word for sin. It's not uh, talking about missing the mark as we we hear in in other places, but it's talking about transgressing a line. We trespass, we, we cross a line. And He forgives our trespasses. When we cross the line and we break God's law, we find forgiveness for that because we have been redeemed by His blood. And he does this according to the riches of of his grace. He is not stingy. He is not a miser. But God, he does this according to the riches of his grace. He has unlimited, unfathomable grace that he has given and which He lavished upon us. Think about that language. He, he is not stingy. He lavishes upon us His grace and His mercy. In all wisdom and insight. He forgives us of our trespasses. He redeems us. He buys us with His own blood. And He gives us Wisdom and insight into the scriptures. And it says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. God had a plan throughout all of the Old Testament that was a mystery. From the beginning of creation and the fall, there were things in the Old Testament that pointed towards Christ. That pointed pointed towards what He was going to do. But it was veiled. It was a mystery. And in Christ, we have this mystery revealed. We know what they did not know before the cross. In Him we, he has been made known to us the mystery of His will. This was a plan that He had set forth in Christ for the fullness of time. When I think of the fullness of time, Jim and I were talking about, about peaches before. And I think about ripening. That fullness of time. When, when, when the tree uh, he puts on the fruit, and, but, but it's not ready yet and not ready yet. Oh, it's ripe and it's ready to pick and you can enjoy it. That's what this fullness of time is like. 
God does not just do everything immediately, but He works things out through time. Someone asks, why, does, if God is good and if He's all-powerful, does He not just wipe out all sin right now? Because He works through this process of waiting for the fullness of time. And when the fullness of time had come, He sent Jesus to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, die in our place, and do all of these things. He's made known to us this plan, a plan that was a mystery from all before. And another part that was a mystery is the fact that we Gentiles are included. He gets to this a little bit later. But before, God was working among the Jews. He was working among the Jews, promising to Abraham and promising to David and all of those Old Testament saints. But now, He has made known to us the mystery of His will. And His will, uh, in the fullness of time, His plan is eventually, at the end of verse 10, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And we may think of, in the book of Revelation, when you have heaven coming down and being united with the new heavens and the new earth. He's uniting all things in Himself, things in heaven and things on earth, where there will be Peace forevermore. Will there be, will be no more crying and no more tears and no more pain where everything is restored. Where everything has finally accomplished the goal that all of, of history has been aiming for from the very beginning. Verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. That's another one of our spiritual blessings. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. We have an inheritance. Like I said, why does He talk about sons of God and not sons and daughters? Well, it's because the sons get the inheritance. And all of us believers, both men and women, red, yellow, black, and white, We are all considered sons and we have obtained an inheritance. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. So when it says, we who were the first to hope in Christ, who is that talking about? I believe it's talking about the Jewish people. It's not just, I mean, it could be just talking about the apostles, but the first to hope in Christ. The first to hope in Christ. God's plan, as He revealed it through the Old Testament from the very beginning, from Genesis 3, when He promised that a seed of the woman would come and crush the serpent's head. Those who were looking to that promise were looking and hoping in Christ that was to come. And hoping in the Messiah that was to come. And those that were looking at the Abrahamic promises of someone who would be a son of Abraham, who would bless all nations. 
was looking and hoping in Christ. And then the one who, the promise to David, the promise of a a son who would come and sit on David's throne forever, whose kingdom would never end, that, again, is a promise that, uh, that was the first to hope in Christ. And then he says, in him you also, you also, not just the Jewish people, but also you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is another benefit we have, another um, blessing, spiritual blessing we have in Christ. That when we heard the gospel, not just Jews, but when we heard the gospel preached and we believed in Him, at that moment, when we believed in Him, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And some, you know, ask if we, some think, you know, you, you get saved at one point, and then later on you get the Holy Spirit. It doesn't seem to be the way you see it in Paul here. When Paul is talking, he says, when you believed, the moment you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, if you're trusting in Jesus, you have the Spirit living in you right now. And the Spirit, He seals us. It is an unbreakable seal. When we trust in Him, He holds on to us. And in and this Holy Spirit, He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possess, possession of it. The Holy Spirit is one of our assurances that we have that we do have this inheritance. This inheritance that we will have eternal life. That we will have all of these spiritual blessings. The Spirit bears witness with us. And He gives us assurance that we are children of God. And all of this, all of this that we've looked at today, the fact that He has chosen us in Him to be holy and blameless, the fact that He has predestined us to the adoption as sons, the fact that we have redemption in His blood, through His blood, forgiveness of our sins, rich, lavish grace poured upon us, that He's made known to us the mystery of His will, and the fact that we have an inheritance. All of those things sum up in the end to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. We hear it several times in this passage. To the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. So when we think about these things, they're not to be speculations, wondering, trying to figure everything out in the mind of God. But when we hear these things, they ought to cause us to have praise rising up within us. To the praise of His glory.
that he has done all these things, we ought to magnify his grace and praise him for what he has done in Jesus. Amen.